Uh, will you, if you please take your copy of God's Word and turn to uh, the first, uh, first Peter. Uh, if you have a child, uh, ages six years of age or younger, uh, you can have your kids sent on back for Children's Church. Uh, if you want to follow along, uh, it's going to be found on page uh, 858. 858. Uh, we do have a gift, uh, if you haven't realized, uh, when we have that offering time that Miss Ella plays. Uh, it's so, uh, so incredibly beautiful. Uh, and it really is a op- great opportunity for our own hearts and souls to prepare us uh, to hear a word from God. Uh, we don't come just to, to hear opinions of man. We really want to hear a word from the Lord. Uh, so I would just encourage you during that offering time uh, to use it as a time to really prepare your hearts uh, to hear uh, from God. Well, if you want to uh, follow along with me, like I said, it's going to be found on page 858. Uh, we're going to be reading First uh, Peter uh, chapter 3, verses 3 uh, through 18. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But if, even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened, but in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for the sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the, by the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you reign. You are in control of all things. You, O oh Lord, are the most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all others. Father, you hate evil and guard the lives of your faithful ones. You deliver your people from the hand of the wicked. You shed your light upon the righteous and joy to the upright in heart. We rejoice in the Lord, for you are righteous. We praise your holy name. And the Holy Father, we, you tell us to pray for our leaders, so we do so now. God, we pray specifically for our Supreme Court. God, we pray that you are using them to administer your justice. God, we pray specifically that when they encounter cases that deal with abortion, that they always fight to protect the lives of the unborn. We pray that they overturn Roe v. Wade and they abandon abortion in our country. Father, we pray for other churches. God, we also pray specifically this morning for churches in our nation's capital. God, as they often have influence over those who are uh, in charge of policies, God, we pray that you will grant those pastors favor, that you will use them as tools to strengthen people's resolve to fight for justice and truth. Use them as a proclamation as their proclamation of the gospel turns hearts to you. Help them open the eyes of the blind. And Father, we pray for the gospel to bear fruit in America. God, we pray for the lives of the unborn. Father, we pray that you protect them. God, we pray that you surround those women and men who are considering abortion. God, we pray that you surround them with wise counsel. God, people who believe in you. We pray that your spirit will convict them to choose life. God, we pray as a church that we will rise to care for the countless of unwanted children in America. May our zeal 
as we speak against abortion, be matched by our zeal for caring for women in crisis and for reaching out to those children without a home. Father, we also pray for those who've been impacted by abortion. We pray specifically, God, that those who struggle with guilt, help them believe in your forgiveness. Help them, Father, believe that there is no, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Father, we ask now for our own hearts. God, we pray. We pray that you teach us by your Spirit. God, we pray that you attend this message, that your people will be built up for the glory of your name. We ask this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, Garrett Kell, a, a pastor, uh, of Delray Baptist Church in Alexandria, Virginia, wrote this following our recent presidential elections. He says, A great tragedy unfolded less than a week ago on Tuesday, November 6, 2012. The tragedy was not found in the celebrations of elected officials or the concessions of defeat. It was not a colored red or blue. It wasn't wrapped up in meaningless campaign posters, campaign promises. The tragedy of the 2012 election is that in the land of the free... In the home of the brave, many people were not allowed to vote. Their voices were silenced. Their votes were not cast. Their opinions were not expressed. Why? Because they were dead. The great tragedy of the 2012 election is that roughly 33 million would-be voters had been murdered. From 1973 to 1994, roughly 35 million babies were aborted. That's roughly 35 million 18 to 39-year-olds who could not vote from the grave. This is an unspeakable tragedy. When you read that, the numbers are just shocking. In our country, on average, seven babies are aborted every three minutes in America. Well, Pastor Cal goes on and says this, and I quote, This is a tragedy that hits close to home. When I was 19, I chose to end the life of my first child through an abortion. My friend and I were in a scary place. We didn't plan to get married, and we had nowhere else to go. So we opted to end the life of our child. That child would be 16 today. They'd be excited about driving a car, and in just a couple of years, they'd be excited about voting. But they won't be doing any of that. We won't be sitting down together as I explain how to think about politics, policies, and candidates who represent them. I won't be able to tell them about freedom and justice for all. I took that freedom away with my injustice. I cannot undo what I've done in the past. None of us can. Only Jesus, who shed his blood for sinners like me, can heal those wounds. Jesus gives us great hope in the midst of this tragedy and all the tragedies we face in this life. When we start the discussion of sanctity of life as we celebrate this Sunday. We must hold two truths side by side. The first is that abortion is an unspeakable tragedy. But the second is that the shed blood of the Lord Jesus forgives that tragedy. Abortion is not the unforgivable sin. There is no sin that cannot and will not be forgiven when people turn to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith. 
If you or, or a friend or a family member have been impacted by abortion, can I encourage you to firmly grasp that truth this morning? 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 says this, This is a trustworthy and deserving saying and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Jesus came to pay the penalty of sin, including the sin of abortion. Now, the church, we're in a unique place in American history. The state is becoming more and more hostile to the Christian faith. I believe Peter's warning to the first century Christians are applicable uh, to us today. When he said, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? And the good we're going to be talking about today is protecting the lives of the unborn. Who would make you suffer when you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But as you, but in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. If you take out the back of your bulletin and follow along with the notes provided for you, that's our first point. We will suffer. So set apart Christ as Lord. It's clear that the persecution that is happening against the church is only going to rise in years ahead. We will suffer. We will suffer in our efforts to do good and honor the Lord and His Word. The recent health care law passed by Congress has approved the use of federal funds for abortions. As Christians, we cannot support such regulations. Christian universities and Catholic charities and even secular businesses run by Christians are opposing these tactics. They're fighting the law. Most notably, you followed Hobby Lobby. They're being fined $1 million per day. For what? For being eager to do what is good. Fighting for the unborn. Persecutions and penalties are going to come. So how do we stand against them? I think Peter gives us that first answer. We set apart Christ as Lord. We have to make a decision that no matter what happens in this life, no what happens from our, from our government being pressed down into us, Jesus Christ will remain Lord. I do not bow to our laws. I bow to the King over those laws, and that's the Lord Jesus. So if persecutions and penalties come, we will accept them because Jesus Christ is our Lord. Now, we do not yet know uh, how aggressive this aggressive secular, secularism uh, against the things of God will affect us. But as Joshua said, as me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Beloved, can I just say, as me and my church, we will serve the Lord. So I pray this morning, I'll offer some help how we can set apart Christ as Lord in the midst of this American intolerance, this reverse discrimination that we are experiencing this morning. The first way from our text, you'll find it in your outline, is be prepared with gospel reasoning. Be prepared with gospel reasoning. Look, at, look back at how, how Peter starts to encourage the church in verse 15. He says, "...but in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord." Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Beloved, we must be prepared with gospel reasoning. In order to be prepared, we must think and reflect, why do we hold the pro-life position? And as we look at this issue of abortion, you know, I want to provide reasons from the Scripture why we, why we are pro-life. 
And if you're here today and you are our pro-choice, can I just challenge you to consider maybe switching sides this morning? Uh, if you want to, the, the, the majority of this talk will be posted online on our, on our website, so feel free to get the rest of the information there. There's a reason that the widespread, there's a widespread disagreement, even in the church, against this issue. And I, I think it's, it, it's because there is no verse in Scripture that we can point to that says, Thou shalt not have an abortion. That verse is not there. But just because there is not a verse that is clear on that topic, it does not mean that the Bible is not clear on the subject. The Bible is incredibly clear. The emphasis of the Scriptures is that life begins at conception. And therefore, abortion would be murder, the taking of a life, which is explicitly forbidden in Scripture. You shall not murder, Exodus 20, 13. So listen to a couple verses. Genesis 1, 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female, he created them. The foundation of the biblical argument is that every human being is created in the image of God and has dignity and a right to life. The crux of the entire debate hinges on that question. Is the child in the womb a person or not? When does that personhood start? I I believe the weight of the evidence is clear in the Scriptures that the life begins at conception. As you heard Bobby read from Psalm 139, verse 13, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. See, now God is active in in, in the creation of a child, even while the child is in the room forming a child into a unique individual being made in the image of God. Isaiah 49.1, Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, your peoples from afar. The Lord called me from where? From the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. Jeremiah 1, 4 and 5. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I set you apart as holy. I appointed you to a prophet to the nations. So God knows us and calls us even while we're in the womb. Now we could spend hours dissecting these passages, uh, but for the sake of time, I'll, let me just say this. The weight of the Bible, the weight is that life begins at conception. And if you, if you hold that, every other argument made by the pro-choice side falls apart. And I just want to maybe give you a few and, and talk about a few. Now, this issue has been debated for, for decades, so I may not convince you in, in, in 30 minutes. Uh, but let me just point out some things, how we can have this gospel reasoning. One of the arguments that they often give is a woman has a right to her own body. And I think there's a lot of truth to that claim. A woman does have, an, have a right to her own body, but she does not have an absolute right to her body. For example, a woman can't use her her body as a batting ram to injure someone. A woman can't legally sell her body in prostitution. That is outlawed. So although a woman has a right in her body in in most cases, it's it's not all cases. We should also know that 
that this position assumes that the baby in the womb is a part of the woman's body. Now, we could say that the, that the baby is, is in the woman's body. It, it, it's sustained by the woman's body, but it is uniquely different than the woman's body. A genetic DNA mapping of the woman and the baby will show there's two distinct genetic fingerprints, that of the mother and that of the child. So although this child is sustained and and inside of, it is uniquely different than the woman's body. The second thing we often hear is the decision is between a woman and her doctor. This is a a common argument that that we uh, hear, and it's designed to say, hey, you guys are not allowed to talk about this. It's a private matter. Well, no one wants to infringe on people. We don't like to butt in because that's not usually well-received. But they say, you know, this is, a, this is a woman's issue. Men, you're not really allowed to speak on these matters. And all I have to say is that the right to privacy does not trump the right to life. The right to privacy does not trump the right to life. Now, we see that in every other facet in our society. People can do what they want in their own homes until what they do in their own home starts to hurt and take lives. Those people are locked up. And let's just be honest, men should be able to speak uh, for the lives of the unborn. And I think often in my own life, um, I have held my tongue trying to be respectful uh, because maybe I didn't feel I had the right to say anything. But does the Apostle Paul have the right to speak for the lives of the unborn? Does Jesus, a male, have the right to speak for the lives of the unborn? Absolutely. Absolutely. Men, can I encourage you just to, to be strong and speak for the unborn? Uh, well, if abortion is made illegal, then women will resort to back alley abortions that potentially harm their lives. Now, if abortion is made illegal, there will be some women who resort to unlawful and harmful abortion practices that may end up injuring or taking their lives. That may happen. But if abortion was illegal, they would be breaking the law. And the consequences would be a personal choice. It is not the government's job to protect people when they break the law. As I I heard one pastor say, no one makes it easier to rob a bank. It's against the law. We don't want to protect those to do harm. But they also assume that the lives lost to those women who, who want to pursue abortion are more important than the lives of the Countless children who are boarded every single day. Beloved, 1.5 million children are aborted every year. Simple comparison, the argument does not hold water. Now, there's only a few arguments, right? We could, we could spend days talking about it. But the bottom line is, is when we set Christ apart as Lord, we have to know why we hold our position. I think his In recent days, the church is not well thought out. We don't think anymore. We don't don't study and research. We just kind of jump in one side and make these grand statements. Know why you believe what you believe. That's what Peter's telling the early church. Now, people who are on the pro-choice side, many of them don't believe that abortion's right. But they, they, they don't want to go far. It's, what, is it my right to be able to say to them that it's wrong? If you are here today and you fall in that camp, can I just encourage you? Look at the biblical evidence. 
see that the Bible makes clear that life begins at conception. We're going to suffer for that position. And it's only going to get worse as days goes on. Because in America, we, we, we are often persecuted by the tyranny of the majority. Now, in recent days, when you look at our, our, the history of our, of, our, of our culture, when the majority has a strong Christian ethic, we're all fine. But when the majority does not have that Christian ethic, we will be persecuted. And I think this is just the beginning of the tyranny of the anti-God majority in our culture. Set apart Christ as Lord by preparing yourself with a gospel reasoning. The second one, be equipped with gospel respect. Be equipped with gospel respect. Go back to verse 15. Listen to what it says. It says, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord, always prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you just have. We just mentioned that. But, but do this, giving answers and reasons, with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Now, we can just be honest here. Can we be honest to one another? Christians are not always gentle. They're not always respectful. The way they're painted in the public square is angry and bigots. But we must have convictions from our God. We must hold fast to Him. But we also must be slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. We must portray a Christ-like demeanor in response when we suffer for what is right. I think Peter gives us three reasons why in the text we should have a gentleness and a respect about us. The first is so our conscience may be clear. God has given us a conscience to help us determine to see what is right and wrong. Right? There's a thing that, that, that feeling that we get, this is wrong, don't do it. Or this is right, we have peace. The Holy Spirit speaks to our conscience to convict us of sin and lead us to righteousness. Now, it's important to have a clear conscience. Listen to what Paul says to 1 Timothy, to Timothy in Timothy chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, that by following them, you may fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these. Rejected what? Faith and a good conscience. They've gone against their conscience, that leading what is right. And they have what? Shipwrecked their faith. We want to keep a good and clear conscience so that we don't lose our faith. If we consistently go against our conscience, the Bible says it becomes seared with a hot iron not knowing what's right and what's wrong. And in the end, we lose our faith in Christ. Peter wants to protect you, as do I. Secondly, our gentleness and respect is meant to serve those who are attacking us, those who, who hold the opposite position. Peter says we should be equipped with gospel respect so that those who speak maliciously against us, against our good behavior, will be ashamed of their slander. We always have a, have, 
have a responsibility in how we carry ourselves. We can't change others, can we? But we can change our own heart and soul, how we interact with others. We must have a goal of restoration with the person who's against us, have their, our goal, their restoration with God. Now, I've learned this early in my pastoral ministry, is that one of my jobs is to help you with your sin. I want you to uh, forsake your sin and turn to God in repentance. But here's the thing. I must help you with your sin even when your sin is against me. When you slander me, when you speak maliciously to or about me, how am I to respond? With gentleness and respect. Why? Because I love you. And I want you to be ashamed of your malicious treatment. Why? So that you could turn to God. So when people malign you and they speak malicious things against you, we don't want to respond in anger. We want to respond with gentleness and respect so they could be aware of their sin. That when they see our good behavior, they are put to shame. Isn't the Lord's kindness meant to lead us to repentance? Romans 2, chapter Romans 2, 4. Listen to what Paul says. The Lord's servant, those who want to follow God, must not quarrel. Instead, we must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. So they will come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. When we carry ourselves in a certain manner, we are blessing those who oppose us, that they may come to God. Because here's the thing, beloved, we can't change anybody's mind. The Bible says in Romans 8 that the, that the, the, the sinful mind, that is, that is of the, belie- the unbelieving mind, is hostile to God. It cannot submit to God's law. It does not and cannot. We cannot change people. We can't. But what we can do is we can love them. We can stand firm to the truth, giving gospel reasoning, but with gospel respect. This past week, uh, Pastor Louis Giglio uh, was invited and then disinvited uh, for praying at the second uh, inauguration of our president. He was asked to pray because of his, his work against human trafficking. He's done much to com- combat slavery in all parts of the world. But later he was disinvited because 15 years ago, he made a comment that homosexuality was a sin and that people could be healed and be forgiven in Jesus. Now, much could be said about that recent event, but I believe it shows us that when you hold fast to biblical convictions, you are going to be persecuted. Uh, a professor, president of Southern Seminary, Al Mohler, has said is that I'm always shocked and surprised that people get angry at Christians when we actually believe what the Bible says. In our culture, the more and more we believe what the Bible says, people are going to persecute us. But listen to how Pastor Louis Giglio responded. He said, I am honored uh, to be invited to the, by the president to give the, the benediction at the upcoming inaugural on January 21st. Though the president and I do not agree on every issue, we have fashioned a friendship around common goals and ideals, most notably ending slavery in all forms. Due to the message of mine that surfaced 15 to 20 years ago, it's likely that my participation in the prayer I would offer will be dwarfed by those seeking to make an agenda of the focal point of the inauguration. 
Clearly speaking on this issue has not been the range of my priorities of the past 15 years. Instead, my aim has been to call people to an ultimate significance as we make much of Jesus Christ. He goes on, Neither I nor our team feels it's best to serve the core message and goals we are seeking to accomplish to be fight on the issue not of our choosing. Thus, I must respectfully withdraw my acceptance for the president's invitation. I will continue to pray regularly for the president and urge the nation to do so. I will most certainly pray for him on Inauguration Day. Our nation is deeply divided and hurting and more than ever need God's grace and mercy in our time of need. Now, he could have responded a number of different ways, couldn't he? Right? But how did he respond? Uh, He responded with gentleness and respect. And he was called some awful things in the press. Uh, I think that he was called a, a bigot, someone who has fought against human trafficking for the last 15 to 20 years, a bigot, someone who doesn't care for others. And he responded with gentleness and respect. I pray we do the same. Uh, but lastly, uh, be grounded in a gospel redeemer. Be grounded in a gospel redeemer. Uh, I think one of the things we always have to keep in mind, as Peter does, that we need a redeemer. We ourselves need a redeemer. It's so easy for us to forget when we, when we deal with these vile issues, homosexuality and abortion, that we are sinners and we need a Savior. Peter writes, For Christ died for sins once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. Beloved, we must never forget that we have a desperate, desperate need for God. We must show the world that we have that desperate need. Because because of our sins, we, are, we would be destined for an eternal hell. Sin separates us from God. And I think when you deal with issues like abortion, it's easy to say, well, my sin's not as bad as that. But listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 5. You have heard that it said to people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answered to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Jesus says that people are in danger of the fire of hell, not because of murder, but because of the root of murder, which is anger. Have you ever been angry? Well, according to the Bible, you deserve the fire of hell. But listen to what Peter said. Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. As I've been thinking about that this week, I think the reason why I was so gripped when Ella started playing Amazing Grace is because I realize that I am in desperate need of God's amazing grace. That I'm a wretch. I've sinned against God. And you know those sins that you don't, you don't speak about, but those sins that make you feel so guilty. So guilty that, God, how could you forgive that? As I think about those, those women and those men who struggle with that guilt of having an abortion. Those, those feel, God, you could never forgive me. 
You could never forgive me for that. Beloved, listen. Christ died once and for all. For all. Your past sins, your present sins, and your future sins. Why? Because you are unrighteous. So the righteous one gave you his life. And he took up all your unrighteousness. He took up your sins of anger. He took up your sins of murder. And he gave you his perfect, spotless righteousness. That is amazing grace. Once and for all. Now why did he do it? Why? It says right there in the text, to bring you to God. That's why Jesus came. He came because you are an unrighteous sinner. But the righteous one died in your place for all your unrighteousness. Why? To bring you to God. Amen. Well, we end where we began, hearing a word from someone who experienced this guilt that comes with abortion. Pastor Kell, one who participated in abortion, writes this, I have on my wall a picture of a three-year-old boy in cowboy boots. He nearly wasn't with us today because his mother was in a difficult place. She was unmarried, pregnant, and scared. But my wife met with her, prayed with her, took her to a Christian doctor who showed her the baby in her womb through a sonogram. That young mother had the courage to keep her child. That young boy's smile reminds me that God can save children. One at a time. He does this by using his people to come alongside the struggling, to lovingly show them that Christ who can walk with them through any terrifying situation, even an unplanned pregnancy. I believe the only hope to turn this trend of this tragedy is for people to turn their hearts toward the God who made them through the way paved by His Son, Jesus. Jesus changes hearts, and changed hearts can change a nation. May God give us grace as a country. May God give us courage to stand up in the midst of that tragedy so that if he tarries, many more will cast votes in 2030. Lord Jesus, we need your help. So like Pastor Cal and his wife, when you have the opportunity to stand up for the unborn, stand. Whether it's with a um, family member, or a friend, or a colleague, or it's to counsel a young girl, or if it's in the voting booth, Stand up for the unborn. Remember these words from James 5.20. Remember this. Remember this, beloved. Whoever turns a sinner from the air of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Let's pray. Father, we, we need you. Our country needs you. Our hearts need you. God, remind us of the great, amazing grace that we have been forgiven in Jesus. God, again, I pray for those who have struggled, family and friends, or personally with the sin of abortion. God, I pray that they hear your sweet words, that Christ died for sin once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. God, I pray that we can turn to you in in repentance and faith. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.